Today's passage is from James 1, verses 13 to 18. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is God's word. Uh, So we're about, this is our fourth Sunday into the letter of James. James has been impressing upon us that true religion, uh, authentic faith, is above all refined and proven in our trials, in our adversity. And that's what we've entitled this series, True Religion, the Wisdom of James. And we live in a day and age, we live in a society where people are very skeptical of institutions, especially of organized religious institutions. And so our, our culture is hypersensitive to hypocrisy, is it not? Uh, we even are hypersensitive to hypocrisy ourselves. Uh, the younger you are, the more hypersensitive uh, to hypocrisy you might be. And so we find that James' letter is extremely helpful to us living today trying to follow Jesus Christ. So false religion, so we're talking about true religion. On the other hand, false religion in authentic faith is also revealed in times of testing. Not only is true faith revealed in times of testing, but inauthentic faith can come out in times of testing and adversity. And I want you to think about this, either personally in your own life, or as you think about human history and you read your newsfeed, think of all the bad decisions all the acquired addictions, the acts of violence, the mass suicides, the quote-unquote holy wars, all waged because people responded to adversity poorly. So James is going to address today an obvious question that comes up when we suffer an obvious struggle that we wrestle with when we think about times of testing. He says in chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Now, when contrary to all the advice James has been giving us through chapter 1, when contrary to what he's already said, we do not take joy in our suffering. We do not seek wisdom in times of testing. We do not gain perspective from our trials. What's going to happen? Well, then our trials and our times of testing are going to crush us. Our trials are going to weaken us and they're going to enrage us. And we're going to come out of them worse off than we were before we went in. And so the scholar Alec Motyer, in his commentary on the book of James, he says that the same circumstances, which are on the one hand opportunities to move forward, are on the other hand temptations to go back. And he says, every trial is also a temptation. 
Throughout the Bible, and this is interesting, but throughout the Bible, when you see the word testing and the word temptation, they're the same word. English translations are translating the very same word in the New Testament. The ancient Greek word, it's the same. Whether we read test or tempt, it's the same word. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, same thing. So in the Bible, testing and temptation share the same root word, and it depends upon the context to understand which one it is. Now, the common question to ask ourselves is, if God is testing me, how do I know he's not tempting me? How do we know that God is not the cause of sin? How do we know that God is not tripping us up and making us sin? And a far bigger question is, how do we know that God is not the author of evil if he is sovereign? Well, God does not generate evil within you. What he generates in you is true faith and lasting life. And as James talks about our suffering and our trials, he really closes out the concept by addressing this issue of temptation. And so we're going to address it today. And we're going to talk about the nature of God in our trials. And we're going to talk about the nature of sin itself. And we're going to talk about the nature of grace. This is, this is what makes the difference. And you, you heard uh, this was sung about today and you even heard Chevy praying about it. But the nature of grace makes all the difference in understanding what God is trying to do when we are suffering and we are tempted to do sinful things and make poor choices. So that's what we're going to look at today. The nature of God, the nature of sin, and the nature of grace in our trials. The nature of God is good, and he only gives what is good. Throughout the Bible, you see God's people again and again being tested in times of adversity. And when the testing is intended maliciously, it's coming from Satan, God's enemy, or it's coming from human enemies who are against the people of God and against God's message, against God's truth, against what God is trying to accomplish. So a great example of that type of malicious testing outside of Satan testing people would be the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees testing Jesus maliciously. They're trying to trip him up because they were against him. And we call that, we translate those instances of testing as temptation. Temptation is testing with a malicious intent. It is a test that is intended with malice to harm and to hurt. And so James says, uh, let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. How do we know that God is not tempting us because it is not in his nature to tempt you. That is literally what James is saying. How do we know? Because it is not in his nature to tempt us to sin. Quite unlike the ancient Greek gods in the pantheon, this God, the Bible, does not reflect our own human malice. 
Psalm 92 says that the Lord is upright and that there is no unrighteousness in him. Or the Apostle John would say in his first epistle, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So all the terrible ordeals that God puts his people through in the scriptures, think of Abraham and what he and Sarah had to go through with Isaac. Think of Job and all the suffering that Job had to endure. When God tests his people, it is not out of malice, it is for their good, for their productive advancement. It is a beneficiary testing. Think of a good parent, think of a good teacher, think of a good coach. They test you with a beneficial intent so that you can prosper and grow. Without that testing, you wouldn't grow at all. And so the very nature of their testing is motivated by love. And so uh, John Calvin wrote, talking about this passage, that God tests us by laying before us an occasion by which our hearts are made known. There it is, you see that? You ever have somebody who you knew loved you put some difficult pressure on you and you knew it was out of love and what happened? The nature of the situation was revealed to you. Had they not put pressure on you out of love, you would have never seen the condition of your heart. And so after you go through that struggle, you even can, with, with, with a retrospective uh, perspective, you can thank them and be glad that they put that pressure on you because that pressure, that testing was designed to encourage you. It wasn't malicious. It was beneficial. So, so Calvin wrote, by laying before us an occasion by which our hearts are made known. That is how God's testing us. Now listen to what he goes on to say. But to draw out what is hid in our hearts is a far different thing from inwardly alluring our hearts by wicked lusts. And he's saying that's not what God's doing. He is not luring you. He is not baiting you wickedly to trip up. Not like the Greek god Cronus, right, who ate all his kids so that they wouldn't rise up against him. Uh, God is not malicious like that. We are malicious like that. God is not, James is saying. And so he goes on to say in verse 16, hey, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived. So we're back to this concept of true religion. True faith trusts in the true nature of God. That authentic faith believes in the God who is. Not the, God we, not the gods we dream up. Not the gods we make in our own image. True faith trusts in the true God and his true nature. And this is critical when we're struggling with trials and when we are tempted to sin in our trials. So, so in 17, he clarifies even further. Every good gift, he says, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. James is trying to paint the picture of a benevolent, loving, generous, heavenly Father. And now he goes further in saying, our God is immutable. He's unchanging. He's not like the tide. He's not like shadows that, that move as the sun as the sun moves and the earth rotates around the sun, God is not like human popular opinion, which is constantly shifting. God is steady. He's the same yesterday and today and forever, the scriptures tell us. So when you think of things like love, faithfulness, justice, righteousness, peace, 
These are the things that he gives. And James calls him the father of lights, right? Now think of Genesis chapter 1, and God creates light, and he separates it from the darkness, and he creates the sun and the moon and all the stars. What does he say at every step of the creative process? And God saw that it was good. And this is the God that James is talking about. He gives good things, right? In, in the words of Olaf, the snowman, all good things, all good things. That's who he is. That's what he gives. God created angels and humans as free beings. And though he is sovereign, he is not the author of evil. We have to remember that in our trials. Remember in your suffering, remember when you know you are being tested, God is good and he only gives what is good. Even testing to help us mature and grow. So where does the temptation come from? Right, so if God is good and he only gives what is good and he tests us, where does the temptation come from? Remember, temptation is maliciously intended testing. Where does that come from? The human heart, the human heart harbors indwelling sin. And the thing about indwelling sin is it's not alien to us. It's right at home. Like sin is at home in the human heart. It's not alien, it's natural. It is our nature. It is not God's nature to tempt us, but it is our nature to be tempted. So yeah, you read Genesis chapter three, the serpent, Satan, tempted Adam and Eve and so humanity fell into sin because they were duped by Satan. But ever since then, humanity has not needed much help. So this isn't going to be one of those blame it on the devil sermons. He has a role in it, but that's not James's point. Read verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, wait for it, by his own desire. Is all desire wrong? No. You've got to eat. Like, hunger is a good desire. Uh, you, you, you should be, in some sense, attracted to, <laughs> to your spouse. That is a good thing, to, be, to desire your spouse. It is a good thing to be attracted uh, to people of the opposite sex in an appropriate way. Desire is not a bad thing. God longs for many things that he loves and appreciates. Now, when James talks about desire, he's talking about something specific. He's talking about whatever God has naturally ordained, whatever, whatever God has not naturally ordained as good for you and for others. That's, that's the kind of desire that James is talking about. Right? Whatever God has not naturally ordained as good for you and for the rest of us. One biblical, grief, uh, biblical Greek dictionary uh, identifies this type of desire this way. I thought it was so helpful that I wanted to share it with you. Anxious self-seeking. I want you to think about anything that you have desired that you knew was wrong. And a great, here's a little test that a wise person once gave, gave us in seminary, uh, one of our professors said, here's how you, is sometimes you're like, is, is what I'm doing really sinful? Like, what does God think about this? I'm not sure I know. 
Is this okay or not? I don't quite feel right about it, but maybe it's okay. How do you know sometimes? Well, can you thank God for it? If what you're engaging in is something that you cannot turn to God freely and openly and thank him for, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Think of all the things you have wanted that could be described as an anxious self-seeking. A nervous focusing on yourself is really what James is talking about by desire. What you desire as the result of worrying that God is somehow holding out on you, that's a sinful desire. That's really what tripped up Adam and Eve in the beginning. Believing that somehow God is not leveling with you, that somehow God is not giving you all that you need to be productive in life, that God is against you, wanting something because you believe that he's really not for you. That's a sinful desire. And those desires don't come from God, James is saying. They come from, in the words of John Calvin, the corruption of our nature. And so verse 15, he goes further. He says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so you see he uses as an analogy the biological process of conception and then gestation and then birth and then growth. The whole process from beginning to end. And what this tells us is that the results you're getting right now originate way back in the desires of your heart. There's a process, as one scholar says, there's a process, that's what birth is. Conception isn't the end of it. Eventually, you end up with a grown human being someday, right? And when you're looking at that human being, that was a process that began all the way back with conception. He's saying there's an aspect to the sinful nature that is very much like that. We want to understand why we want what we want and why we're struggling in the way that we're struggling. We have to go backwards to see what was conceived in our heart. And James is saying that actually comes from our own desires. The results you're getting originate way back in the desires of your heart. So what is James trying to say? He's saying that God tests us for our good, but if we are tempted in that period of testing, it is not because a good God is taunting us. It's because our sinful hearts are enticing us. So what you and I have to do is acknowledge the way we've contributed to the mess that we're in. I want you to think about how you're being tested and ask yourself, how have I contributed to my own trials? Another way of saying this is acknowledge how you have responded sinfully, selfishly to your struggles. Ask yourself how you, in your anxious self-seeking, have responded to adversity. Authentic faith is not moral perfection. And this theme is going to keep coming up in this letter. Authentic faith is constantly turning away from deception toward the truth. Following Jesus is constantly willfully walking away from deception 
towards all that God says is true. And we read this as our profession of faith earlier, but the Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's often happening is you and I, we want to know why God won't remove our desires instantly. You have a desire, you see it, you hate it, and you go, God, remove the desire, and he doesn't remove the desire, and you shake your fist at him, and you say, why? Please just remove this from me. That's what we want to know. Why won't he just remove our desires instantly? But God wants to know why you desire those things more than you want him. Answering that question is where the real work begins. Asking God to magically remove all of your sinful desires or that specific one that you're thinking about today, he, I think we're asking the wrong question of him. And he wants to know in response, well, so the thing you want me to rem- miraculously remove, what I want to know is, why do you want that so much? We have to answer that question. Answering that question is where the productive work begins. So let's play a little game today. Pin the blame on the person who doesn't deserve it. All right, so we've all played pin the tail on the donkey. Okay, the game we play is pin the, pin the blame on the person who doesn't deserve it. Who do you want to blame for your sinful desires? Right, James, James is saying, who do you want to blame? You want to blame your parents, your boss, your older sibling, whoever has caused your suffering, you want to blame them? And if we're really, really honest, we get to rock bottom and go, no, what I'm really doing, I'm really blaming God. I'm shaking my fist at God. I'm saying, he's holding out on me. He's letting all of this happen. And the reason I'm making bad choices and the reason I want bad things is because he's letting all this happen. It's really him that I'm angry at. And listen, I want to just take the pressure off now and say, it's okay. It, he can, he's a big boy. He can handle it. It is very common for our temptations to flare up in adversity. You know, Paul went, and, and Paul was really, really angry with the church in Corinth, right? Like they were making a mess out of everything. And, and, and Paul said, lovingly, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to everybody else. It is common when we are tested to want to cut corners, to want to hurt one another. It's common in testing to want to serve ourselves. Because all those things allow us to, we think, escape our trials, deaden the pain, or just dull it down, make it more manageable. That's what a lot of the anxious self-seeking that we call those sinful desires that, that we, we, we fall into, it, it, we're trying to cut corners. We're trying to hurt one another. We're trying to serve ourselves in our suffering. Now, what James is saying, so, so I want to just say that it, this is common. You're not a weirdo. This is normal. You're not alone. This is something we all struggle with. We are all tempted to sin when we are tested. James is saying, don't blame God. 
He only gives according to his nature good things. Even our trials to refine us and perfect us. Blame yourself if you are tempted to sin and do sin in your trials. James is saying, that's all you. That's your nature. That's not God's nature. It is his nature to do good and to give good. If we sin in our testing, James is saying, that's all us. Pin the blame on yourself. You want to grow in your faith? Learn to pin the blame on you. And I'm not talking about shame. I'm not talking about those of us that beat ourselves up constantly just to try and get our conflict to go away, just to get people to stop doing whatever they're doing to us. I'm not talking about that. I mean the humility to say, here, has, here is how I have contributed to making my struggles worse. By responding to good testing in a poor way. God in his grace has changed your nature. As Avery said to the kids today, he, here's the thing. This is why we're here worshiping today. This is why we sing songs of hope and pray with confidence that God hears us and forgives us because grace makes all the difference. We talk about the nature of God in our trials. We've talked about the nature of our sin in our trials. The nature of grace is what matters the most because that's the real miracle. Here's the real miracle. Not God miraculously taking away your desires. The real miracle is he's already changed your nature. And that's what we have to focus on. Look at verse 18. He says, of his own will, of God's own will. That means God meant to do it. You are not an accident. His love for you is not a mistake. It is not random. God is not random. He is purposeful because he is good. All right? We're setting up what James is about to say here. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And Paul defines the word of truth in Colossians chapter 1 as the gospel, the good news. Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, taking your place, swapping your sinfulness for his, righteous, for his righteousness. When James says the word of truth, that's what he means. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. That means the best, the new thing, the latest, the next version, the first fruits of his creatures. And so this is beautiful. James is making a contrast. He's saying we, by our misguided desires, give birth to our own sin, which leading to its log logical conclusion brings death. And what does Romans chapter 6, verse 23 say? The wages of sin is death. But that's not where it ends. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this is, the, this is the comparison James is making. We, by our misguided desires, give birth to our sin, which leads to death. God, by his grace, gives birth to our faith. And he's already told us that as we persevere in faith, we will receive, verse 12, last week, the crown of life that God has prepared for those who love him. You give birth to your temptations that cause you to sin. And if we don't get a check on that, James says, it leads to eternal death. God's grace gives birth 
to life, to faith that leads to life. How do we know that this is true? Because it is the nature of Jesus that we receive when we trust in him. This is how we know that by faith, God has given us a new nature because to follow Christ is to have the nature of Christ who resisted temptation, all the malicious digs from Satan, all the malicious digs from people like the religious leaders of his day, all all the malicious intentions of everybody around him that were always trying to trip him up maliciously. He resisted it all for you because you couldn't, because you haven't because you won't completely, just like Adam and Eve chose not to. We know that we receive this nature by the grace of God because to follow Christ is to have the nature of Christ who resisted and overcame. And in Christ, God sees that you have resisted and have overcome. That's that's the beautiful miracle. That is how grace informs us in our suffering. We want some magical cure to never desire evil anymore. And God says, I have already given you a new nature through my son. Now live in that nature. That's where it begins. I do not generate evil within you, he says through the apostle James. He generates true faith, which leads to lasting life. So just kind of going full circle here with the first four installments of the letter of James. From a grace-filled perspective, from a grace-filled nature, we find joy for our trials. We ask for wisdom in our trials. We gain perspective from our trials. And it is the joy, and it is the wisdom, and it is the perspective inspired by God's grace that allows us to resist temptation. Don't think that you can resist temptation if you haven't started back with joy and wisdom and perspective. And so this is the hope, that if you're beating yourself up and you're letting Satan beat you up and saying, look at you, you're a mess, God hates you, people don't like you, you smell, you'll never be anything. Don't you believe it for a minute. Don't believe it for a minute. But don't try to start by just stopping the things you hate to do. We've got to go back to the condition of our heart. And go back and read the chapter all over again before we move on next week. And see how he builds on joy and wisdom and perspective. And now, now, you have a fighting chance against temptation. Because the grace of God, as it has already changed your nature... The grace of God leads you in joy and wisdom and perspective, and that is the power to resist temptation. So stop blaming God for temptations. Acknowledge how you have contributed to some of the mess that you're in and trust in his forgiveness. He gives what is good. Take it. Take it. And sometimes we need people to pray for us and pray over us, and we need counseling. Sometimes it's good advice from someone we trust. Sometimes it's professional from someone who is trained. 
But God wants you to want him more than the thing you just wished you'd stop desiring. And asking yourself the question, now why do I desire that so much that I just can't stop desiring it? Sometimes we need counseling and sometimes we need prayer. And all the time we need to trust in the word of truth by which God has saved us. He gives good things, especially a new nature. Believe it. Receive it in Christ. Let's pray. Our great God, we ask, we, we ask especially for your grace upon those who want to trust you. Help them in their unbelief to trust in your true nature. Father, help us to live according not to our old nature, but to the new one that was raised from the dead with Jesus Christ. Father, we, don't, we, we, we shed all grand expectations of living a morally perfect life right now while we were in this sinful world and in this sinful flesh. We trust in Jesus' perfection. But Father, we don't want to live in sin and we don't want to be ruled by our temptations. We want to have more power over our temptations than they have over us. Father, deliver us from our wicked desires, from our misguided desires. Help us to trust in your Son who resisted perfectly. We know that we are found in him. And Father, we remember those words from the old hymn when Satan tempts us to despair because of the guilt within, upward we look and see him there who made an end of all our sin. In his name, Jesus Christ, amen.